Hey peeps, before we go back into the Badrilogian Abyss, uh, we could use a little bit of financial aid. In fact, you know what, we'll do a deal. If you subscribe to our show, we'll let you hear the show a little bit earlier. If you subscribe for a little bit more, we'll get you a t-shirt. If you subscribe for a little bit more, you'll get like an anthem and a playlist and maybe even a personalised t-shirt. And if you subscribe beyond that to sort of the realm of the bourgeoisie, uh, we will let you pick the subject of a future episode, but you really have to be a high roller for that to happen. Yeah. Um, if you take yourself to patreon.com forward slash unsung pod and subscribe, it takes like 30 seconds to do this mm-hmm. it helps us out a lot you never have to do it again even if you die your family can continue to subscribe to the podcast on your behalf and that it's all the same as really frankly you're just a, a number um <laughs> <laughs> so uh so uh yeah let's get back into the episode Hey folks, welcome to part two of our Bad Religion Meltdown. This guy's having energy problems, listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> I've not had energy for hours. Uh, my name is Mark Fraser, I am the host of the Unsung Podcast. I am joined by two, I, I've not seen these guys in literally a week. Um, who am I with? <laughs> <laughs> two, ad- two adult babies. Uh, I am looking at the monobrowed baby from The Simpsons that is Maggie's enemy, uh, David Weaver. Oh, what a dream. Well, I'm just looking at Mr. Burns, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> Man, that is, that is raw. That is raw. <laughs> and then we are, of course, uh, joined by Anna Goldthorpe. She's clearly Mrs. Krabappel. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Anna, but that's what everybody's been saying. <laughs> Does that mean that Mark's Willie, the groundskeeper? Always. Yeah, Willie, you, if you, if you've seen him with his top off, then definitely. <laughs> yeah. The, the, yeah. Willie, the single most racist and offensive caricature in modern animation that Scotland <laughs> still refuses to actually be offended by, to our credit, don't you think? I mean, the amount of episodes where he just demeans himself is ridiculous, man. I know, but I just because it's on. a stereotype, it doesn't mean it's not true. Yeah, exactly. Uh, India got a poo band. Aye, but we do drink buck fast and <laughs> shout and swear and get angry at people. We do get uh, the cooks to grease us up so we can go into uh, an air ventilation system and chase a dog. Yep, yeah, it's not just the cooks, we just do, do it. We just do it ourselves, like every yeah, day. I have done that. that, yeah. I remember when I was in school, somebody brought up a block of lard into school one day. <laughs> we, we shoved it in a pair of tights and started swinging it around our heads so that bits of lard sprayed off um, and then someone smeared it on one of the lockers and we used to stick pictures to it that's, that's a true story from Gurik High School that's the most Gurik thing I've ever heard but you know what I take back everything offensive I said about Greenskeeper Willie. He's actually yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, kind of, kind of flattering. In my high school, 
I'm from the Highlands, and my stereotypical thing that happened was sometimes sheep would actually get into the corridor because <laughs> there was like a field right next to us, and the the six year students would herd the sheep into uh, the high school just to cause I, chaos. I'm not even joking. See if that was in a show. The show would get so many complaints for being deeply offensive to people from the high the islands. <laughs> yep. I'm afraid it's true. You know, um, sorry, I know this is a deviation, but the best story I know about schools in Scotland is Colin from a band's mum was a teacher at a school outside Stirling. And outside, also outside Stirling, there is a safari park called Blair Drummond Safari mm-hmm. Park. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, one time... The, the monkeys escaped from Blair Drummond Safari Park <laughs> and they made their way through the fields to Dumblain and they they appeared in the playground outside the school playing on all the kids' toys. Can you imagine? The, the, it's the single greatest moment of a child's life to, to, be, to be studying like maths and to look out the window and see actual monkeys <laughs> on the swing. So, so there's monkeys outside. Like... <laughs> Shut up, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> the single greatest moment of your life. What's not so great is that all those monkeys were euthanised at a later date. What? Um, That's terrible. Why cap- did you even have to tell us that? <laughs> it's it's, it's, it, before we it's move on, I just want to... I mean, maybe this is, this goes in the the, the uncut version, but uh, my friend from Loch Winnick said that they had an assembly called once because the farmer next to the school had put in a complaint that some schoolboys had wanked off his horse. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder how many of them it took to wank the horse. (laughs) Why was he complaining? Did he go out to do it? And he was like, somebody's already wanked this horse. I was looking forward to that. Yeah, I know, I've got a lazy horse. <laughs> and he saw these wee boys running away, he was like, you damn kids! <laughs> I've, I've got family that live in Loch Winnick and my cousins went probably the same school, so I'm, I, need to ask, I need to ask about that. Yeah, you might, might have to ask. That's, that's pretty on brand for your family, Mark. Um, oh, yeah. All right, well, we um, we should talk about bad religion, because I, I mean, we maybe shouldn't, yeah. actually. I mean, Greg Graffin's <laughs> going to be offended by the last episode. Maybe this one wins him back on side, because we're self-effacing. Yeah. Um, you know, before we get into the two albums that we've chosen, so Mark has chosen The Process of Belief, uh, and I've chosen The Great Ace, and we're going to go head-to-head with David and Anna as kind of like neutrals here, mediating a, a, Actually, neutral's pretty generous for you, Anna, because you were kind of shitting on this band for most of the time. <laughs> of I, but the in the last episode, not, I think you'll find that I was being... Constructive. Not even neutral. Aye, and complimentary at times. It's true, but it's a drop in the ocean compared to two and a half years of of cynicism. Of berating, yeah, aye. (laughs) (laughs) Can I I also just mention, talking about bad religion, I think, who sent it over? Mark, did you send over uh, Corey... Taylor's um, next oh, side project. Oh CMFT. yes, we need to talk about that first. Oh, um, so I mean, I think it's it's coming David, up. Going to be released in don't October. Do it. <laughs> don't do it. But I mean. <laughs> Corey Taylor's voice is pretty much exactly the same <laughs> as uh, Greg Graffin's, is it not? you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> like, you could listen to Bad Religion and go, oh, is that Stone Sour? <laughs> yeah! Yeah! 
That is, well, actually, that. you know what? I'm going to say something on this first because I've actually always thought that Corey Taylor had a pretty decent voice, even though I don't like the music that he plays. But the singer of Bad Religion, eh. Mm. It's just a bit, eh. <laughs> but then Corey's yeah. voice is a bit more robust sounding. Quite yeah, a good voice, it's true. You say that, but that's only because you've never watched the singer of Bad Religion jack off over MSN. <laughs> <laughs> if I'd aim, but if I had watched it, I would feel differently, that's for sure. Absolutely, wouldn't we all? I feel differently about Corey Taylor before, uh, after seeing the video for his <laughs> you know what would be even better if not just he was but if the band join him just as a, <laughs> a three part a, a three part harmony come I'm beginning to be psychic so like they just know from like different ends of the USA if it's happening and they just harmonise at the exact same time regardless of where they are you know that yeah, that thing where as he comes he puts his finger in his ear to get the pitch right like whoa <laughs> yeah anyway so Bad Religion who are definitely never going to appear in this show now Ever, <laughs> Don't, no, Mark. There's no point even speculatively. Sorry, <laughs> Mr. Brett. Sorry, Greg. <laughs> we are done. We are finished in this town. Um, Bad religion. Before we get into the two albums that we just spoke about, I want to go into a little segment that I like to call "Schooling with Doctor Graffin." Mm-hmm. Um, Greg Graffin uh, has a PhD in zoology, and he's a highfalutin son of a bitch when it comes to the lyrics that he puts in his songs, and they don't always fit. <laughs> Can we say that? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, a bit like a horse's cock in a schoolboy's hands. Yeah, can be cramped in there. Um, so uh, I noticed that the AV clubs sometimes refer to bad religion as thesaurus punk or thesaurus punk. Thesaurus punk. Um, anyone have a preference there? Um, thesaurus. Uh, and I also want to give a shout out to DyingScene.com who did a really good article on this, right? But there are some really great moments um, of Bad Religion lyricism, <laughs> some of which do not land. Uh, and I'll go through a couple of them, Mark. you definitely recognise a couple of these, right? <laughs> um, from the album you've picked, let's start there, uh, just out of respect. Oh, it's got so many good ones. <laughs> are you going to mention the word jurisprudence in this? <laughs> <laughs> you know what, actually, I'm not... That is a very, very strong candidate. It didn't make the cut. Um, on the track Materialist from Process of Belief. Just to word uh, materialist, the way he sings materialist is mental. Yeah, materi- <laughs> materialist. 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 So I see heat. I'm materialist. I'm materialist. I'm materialist. I'm materialist. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like somebody from the Philippines trying to say it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the song starts with the phrase, you're obsessed and distressed because you can't make any sense of the ludicrous nonsense and incipient senescence. You're obsessed and distressed because you can't make any sense of the ludicrous nonsense and incipient senescence. Right. What and does sen- senescence mean? Senescence means deterioration with age, mm-hmm. but I did have to look that up to get a <laughs> precise definition. But Greg apparently thought that was a good way to start that tune. Um, and I mean, he kind of makes it work and it becomes a feature in it. They don't all work as well as that. Um, in the track Kyoto Now, which is an undisputed ripper, uh, that has the phrase, which has always, always really jarred me, the arid torpor of inaction will be our demise. Yeah. Demise. 
really is I mean it's clumsy in the song. He really <laughs> he really needed to fucking ding you that one. How do you feel as a fan when you hear these pretentious lyrics? They're not pretentious because he's not pretending to be anything in particular. He's like, like a, he's like a, a PhD, yeah. He's just he's just swinging his big old PhD dick about like a, yeah, a but, horse around schoolboys. But his PhD isn't in words language. Words. Words. <laughs> <laughs> words. And have you got a PhD? <laughs> Only a Anna's postgrad. Got, Sorry. Anna, Anna's got a PhD of descripting things. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's another one on that record. By the way, I also want to highlight the, the phenomenon of the Mondegreen. A Mondegreen is where you mishear a lyric and you sort of perpetually sing it as something else. And I had I had that with um, the track Sorrow. Another absolute killer. This is a well-known one. This is a very well-known one. <laughs> really? Yeah, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, so I didn't know if this is a well-known one, but I'm going to say the one that I have problems with. So there's a track in it that goes, what if every living soul could be upright and strong? What if every living soul could be upright and strong? When I heard that track, and still to this day I can flip between them if I do it, the kind of red... You know, you know that thing with the dress. Oh, the dress is gold. The dress is blue. That mm-hmm. kind of shit. Um, I always heard, "What if bad religion's souls could be upright and strong?" Mark, is that the one you're talking about? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fuck you. Oh, um, actually, there's that, hang on, I think I've actually just found it. Oh, sorry, the one I'm thinking about is a uh, twenty-first century digital boy. What is the one the green in that? Um, I'm a twenty-first century midget old boy. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a Monday Green That's something that Anna wrote to try and shit on the band <laughs> I, I wouldn't use an offensive term like that <laughs> And there will be Sauron Boy <laughs> From Sauron <laughs> uh, So on Suffer uh, More ridiculous uh, verbosity from Greg Graffin uh, Suffers a thousand more fools has the line the masses are obsequious contented in their sleep the vortex of their mind ensconced within the murky deep Fucking love yeah, you just, so good. You maybe understand why they never had a a big hit like What's My Age Again. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. Eh? Um, ag- against the Green, uh, the track Against the Green has I Maintain No Discomfiture, My Path Again Renewed, which yeah. really does sound like 18th century poetry. I maintain no discomfiture, my path again renewed. Hi. Well, see, when you say these lyrics, it sounds as though they're from some sort of super serious, like, metal band. Like, you can imagine someone like Bruce Dickinson singing lyrics like that, but then it's just bad religion and they're just a punk band and it doesn't (laughs) really seem to marry up. But I guess that's what fans like about them, that they are different from other punk bands in that You know, so... Some of the lyrics are great and some of them really do jump the shark. Um, Grey Race, the album I chose, the track Them and Us, another absolute ripper of a tune, uh, has the phrase, despite that he saw blatant similarity, he struggled to find a distinctive moiety. Despite that he saw blatant similarity, he struggled to find a distinctive moiety. <laughs> Does anybody here know what moiety is? I have not heard that word. <laughs> so it's spelled M-O-I-E-T-Y and it means, it describes the two 
divisible halves of something. So if something can be divided by two, then the moiety is the the two halves of it. Okay. I don't know why he felt the need to to, to use that. It's just way too much. Um, Delirium and Disorder from Suffer has the phrase, the anechoic nebula rotating in my brain. Love it. Anyone know what anechoic is? It means uh, free from echoes or reverberations. So anechoic. Yeah, do you Um, not get anechoic chambers? That, those I'm are sure you do. Yeah, yeah, it right. seems like you can a, a hear your own head or something. Yep, we're on the Empire Strikes First on the track Beyond Electric Dreams, another really good song. <laughs> I don't even know how to pronounce this properly. It feels like fucking countdown. Um, Ratiocination is a practicable way to desire. Sorry, I'm gonna have to start again. <laughs> Ratiocination is a practicable way to derive an attitude of altitude and. Probity by which to abide. That's in a fucking punk song. Yeah. A good punk song, actually. A really good punk song. Uh, ratiocination or ratiocination is a rational thinking and reasoning, basically. Um, and none of these actually take the prize because the track News from the Front, the bonus track on uh, Stranger Than Fiction, has the most absolutely squeezed in lyrical torrent that I've ever seen. So the tune starts with a brilliant four word line Blood is a river. For a song that good, that is just an awesome opening line. But then he follows it with this. And I have no idea how he does this live, right? Blood is a river flowing darkly amidst the tangled roots of the tall shining city. Crazy flowing maritide migrations engorge the big ventricle of heartbroken America. And he does all of that in less time than I just managed to do it in. And do you find that impressive that he does that? <laughs> you know what, Anna? I don't think Greg gives a shit what I think. <laughs> I think I burned that bridge last episode. <laughs> but anyway, that was uh, Skillam and Dr. Graf. And he uh, occasionally lectures at fancy places in America that cost you a fortune to study at. Cornell he University. Too. Can bask in his verbal glow. Just, I'll give a bit of context to those lyrics. Is like the band are completely aware of the fact that this is a thing. This is a feature of the band, right? They make they make light of it all the time. And Greg's always said, "Well, I read quite a lot because um because I have to teach people. So whenever I, whenever I read the the words, just are there, which is fair enough." Um, but <laughs> there you go. Whenever I read, the words are just there. So like, I mean, f- like, hell, lying, lying, that I'm obviously paraphrasing. I can give you the direct quote if you want, but it's not that interesting. <laughs> nah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm being a prick. Um, so, Mark, chronologically, Grey Race is first. Does that mean I'm going first here? Yeah, head, head to head. Yeah, because I think that actually they're both good, both good bookends to a certain period in Bad Religion's career. Yeah. So I've I've chosen the Grey Race, which was released in 1996. It was released on Atlantic. The band had been on Atlantic for one full album, and as we said earlier on, um, they'd they'd had an album re-released in Atlantic as well. Uh, the Grey Race uh, is done without Mr. Brett, um, but with the, the the services of Brian Baker, and 
It's not the first Bad Religion I ever heard. As I mentioned, the Leaders and Followers, which was a bonus track on Stranger Than Fiction, was the first thing I ever heard. Uh, and I did, even at that time, sort of investigate Suffer, and I had friends that were big fans of the band, and they sort of tried to get me against the grain, and none of them took. But the Grey Race I got from the shop when it came out, and I have to say, it's still an absolutely enduring record for me. Um when I was trying to be, maybe overthink it and pick another track, like I, I spoke about Generator, another album, sorry, I, I spoke about Generator as being an unsung album, and I do think it's an unsung album, or maybe really an under-realised album, because I think the tracks were great, but they didn't record or gig the tracks properly before they, 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 they committed them to tape. Um, the Grey Race is so fucking chock-a-block with brilliant tunes. I think it's very slightly overlong, I'll talk about that, but uh, I mean, put it in context. At the time, you had Green Day and Offspring. They were doing, re- they'd broken in a big way. It is neither of those. It's certainly not a Dookie or a Smasher or even an Ixney. By the way, a little bit of trivia. Do you know um, the track "All I Want" by the Offspring, mm-hmm. which we've spoken about in past episodes in the live episode? That's the Great very song. One. Very one. <laughs> that that was written by Dexter Holland in a Bad Religion songwriting competition. Really? Uh, and he tried to tailor it to Bad Religion even like lyrically and then when he took it to Brett Gurowitz who was his boss at the time because Mm. Offspring were on Epitaph Brett Gurowitz kind of brushed him off and was like Dexter I'm too busy kind of listening to this later (laughs) and then they just fucked off the whole Bad Religion competition and released it themselves anyway because they were kind of (laughs) insulted but there you go Um, but yeah so the Grey Race I mean I'm just such a huge huge fan of this album Um, I think they really put the emphasis on melody I think they they put that before punk credibility it's not the most punk rock album in their their catalogue in fact it's probably the most rock album in their catalogue and from from a personal perspective it's probably as clear from from the way I've talked about their earlier albums I don't think Bad Religion had many start to end incredible records before this I always had on me either in cassette or <laughs> fucking mini disc form um, a Bad Religion mixtape that I, I just played the shit out of and we'll actually we'll put together um, Mark and I will try and sort of like synthesise between us a, a Bad Religion playlist because I think we've got a lot of crossover anyway that sort of is 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 close to what I used to listen to but this was the first time as an album that they really clicked for me straight off the bat though and I'm 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 hoping that I've preempted criticism from Anna and Dave here. Tracks one and two, the grey race. And them and us being tracked two basically do the same job. And I never, ever understood why they, not just that they, they, they included both tracks, because they are both good tracks in their own right, but putting them right at the start with similar riffs, it almost sounds like track one has started again when Them and Us comes in. And I think Them and Us is, over the piece, the much stronger song. It is a much more anthemic um, chorus. The, the, the use of the harmonies in it is so much more accomplished. 
I wish they'd started with them and us, and I wish the Grey Race, if they did want to definitely include it, and I, obviously it's the, the title track, they'd, they'd done it maybe later on in the album. Mm-hmm. But them and us in particular is for me when the album really gets going, it feels like a little bit of a false start with the Grey Race, but they followed that with a track called A Walk. Which, as a newbie to Bad Religion, was such a fucking great way to access the band. Um, it maybe hasn't aged as well as some of the other songs on it, but it's so catchy, it's so simple, it's a bit more strummy, less aggressive, less punk. It's got huge backing vocals in it. Um, it also rolls along really nicely. It's got a great tempo, a great feel to it. It's brilliant in a car, and it made so many mixtapes for us when we were young guys driving about. We'd all got our like driving licenses the year before or the year after, in my case. Yeah. And it was just a, an awesome track to put on in, in, inside a vehicle and just enjoy. But it's followed by Parallel at track four. which I think is also a great example of sequencing because Parallel, whilst it is a little bit more of a complex song in terms of structure, is a lot more melancholy. Um, it's a lot darker than Walk, which is quite light-hearted. A lot more minor stuff in it. Um, it's really urgent, really riffy. There's some brilliant gang vocals in it. Um, and there's a, an absolutely brilliant breakdown in the chorus where the drums go to like half tempo. Um, I also think that the bridge in Parallel is really nice. Um, and I think it's the kind of progression it's a quite complicated progression in the bridge vocally as well and I think it's the kind of progression that I think very very few other punk bands not just of the time but generally would have attempted Um, the fifth track punk rock song is just brilliant direct superb summation of the band generally there's actually a version of the album which has punk rock song in German as a bonus track which also Anna doesn't like this, mainly because Anna doesn't like Germans (laughs) that is absolutely not true and my German friends would back me up on that but what I was going to say in support of what you were talking about until that point was that (laughs) I had actually listened to the first four or five tracks of that album and then messages messaged you to say hey, I was enjoying the album so far and I actually thought those first few songs flowed really well because it didn't sound as though they were all just melding into each other for mm-hmm. me. So it was yeah. kind of interesting that you were saying that the first two tracks were almost a little bit similar because I actually didn't pick up on that when I was listening to it yeah. and my only complaint actually about it is that German version of that <laughs> song. I think I, I don't think he's German's particularly great and he just sounds like 
an American almost putting on a German accent. Like at first when I was listening to it, I couldn't even tell that he was speaking in German until I really tuned in it and realised that that's what it was. But just because his American accent sounds so strong in it. And I, I don't know why they chose to do that. So um, an explanation would be welcome. <laughs> I It's been a while since I looked into that. I think they were actually getting a pretty decent following there. And as a gesture, they wanted to put out a track in that language. They weren't they weren't the first band to do that. I remember, um, who was it? Kraftwerk had done singles in multiple different languages. He did singles in English, German and Italian. Um, the mini, mini calculator track was released in multiple languages for that same reason. I, th- I think it was just something to do with that and a nice uh, novelty a and a little mm-hmm. nod to them yeah. I okay. mean, Dave, what did you think about the start of the first five tracks of that album? Well, I thought the, the sort of, the whole thing with this record was that it was kind of solid f- from start to end. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give you my thoughts on comparing the two records, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean I, I mean, I'll <laughs> I'll I'll give you my thoughts on Bad Religion as a whole later on, <laughs> but um, Dave's been polishing his fucking weapon. Not <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't know punk rock punk punk rock song. I wasn't actually such a fan of because I don't know it kind of felt obvious. I agree with you, but I think it's a deliberate move because it was like a summation. I mean, yeah, I get it. Tit- I get it. Just in the title, it was like this is a distilled version of what we do. We're even just going to call it punk rock song. Yeah, this is basically. But I think that on. maybe sums up my issue with Bad Religion is that I understand why they're influential and why people like them, but they're just too on the nose for me consistently all the time. Yeah. I really wish that the, the listeners could appreciate how uh, versatile your eyebrows are when you're making <laughs> Yeah, I was loving that as well. <laughs> so you always know how sincerely David is being. Yeah, uh, yeah. How sincere David is being. Eyebrow. Yeah, yeah. I felt quite um, captivated by that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when they animate a little ball bouncing between them. <laughs> <laughs> you should do that for for a Twitch stream or something. Um, you know, for for me, like I, I can I disagree with the, the similarities between the Grey Race and them and us. It's really? Straight, yeah, because straight off. Structurally, it's a bit different for me, man. Because this is not this is not the same bad religion that has Brett in it. Like the Grey Race sounds a bit more like a Dag Nasty song. Whereas Them and Us sounds a bit more like a Bad Religion song to me. Okay, yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you um, that. The and actually, is, uh, Them and Us is actually probably closer to a Pennywise song than a Bad Religion song in a lot of ways. Um, I think. And I, you hear that? Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I, I've already said, you know, I can accept both of those bands being mentioned within this as well as Social Distortion because to me it's just all the same. <laughs> okay. I don't yeah. know if it's just a, like, tone, a tonal thing though Because in this record they deliberately chose To, to, to have a, a production style that was Radically different from what Brett does So it's a lot more muscular You know, It's it got is, a lot yeah. more weight to it Whereas they were quite mid-heavy before I think that that's really shown in the first batch of songs In this record uh, I agree with like Parallel, I think it's a good song It's, it's kind of really mid-paced A lot of this record's mid-paced by their standards Even the faster songs aren't lightning fast like, Yeah I agree, that's why I think it's more of a rock album yeah. for, the, for them Totally. I love how, um, ba- like, basically my issue here is as an outside, like a punk rock outsider, I'm not a big punk fan and I'm not a bad, you know, I've never delved into bad religion. Like, having you two chat about the minor discrepancies in which <laughs> song on this bad religion sounds slightly different or sounds more like Pennywise, it sounds like, I don't know, like two builders talking about... <laughs> 
insulation, like ceiling insulation, and which one's better or worse? And oh no, actually, I think that foam just makes it slightly better for winter insulation. And I'm like, I don't fucking know. Like it all sounds the same to me. I just get some insulation from home base and it goes up there. See now you know what it's like when, when I'm trying to find a good uh, try to delineate between what I'm a Shug album is. Is well, on, is on well, yeah, exactly. I've spent <laughs> ten years looking at the thick insulation of Meshuggah, and I can tell the difference. Honestly, <laughs> Mark, it, it's making his fucking eyebrows go mental, man. <laughs> 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 right. Uh, so the sixth track, "Empty Causes," off the back of punk rock song, is fucking brilliant. Deceptively upbeat song for such a pessimistic subject. I mean, it's called "Empty Causes." Yeah, it's like totally jubilant the whole way through. The chorus in that song, there's great backing vocals in parallel, but they're different. The, the chorus blossoms in this song when all the voices join in. It's huge. I mean, there's there's way more than just three layers there. Um, and despite that kind of nihilism that's in the lyrics, they've they've kind of contrasted that with the, the, the arrangement and and the, the the chord changes and stuff. It's I just I really love that. It's 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 really clever. It's really hooky. I will say as well, it's another track where the bridge really works and Bad Religion really distinguish themselves in my mind as a band that pay proper attention to the bridges and songs. For a lot of bands a bridge is like a breather, you know, a bridge is like a moment of downtime before the final chorus or whatever. Bad Religion their bridges are often as hooky as many of the other parts in the songs I mean they, they really put a lot of thought into them and they often expand the palette of the song as well because punk can be obviously very simplistic um, but if you look at the amount of chords that are in the song, it sometimes doubles or quadruples by the time you get to the bridge in a Bad Religion song, and I really love that about it. It shows like a real sense of commitment to kind of maximising what you get within a minute and a half, two minutes, three minutes, whatever length the song is. Um, and this is a good example of that. Um, the seventh track, Nobody Listens, as I mentioned, and it's a good song. It's a much more direct, it's much angrier, punkier track. I do think it's a tune that the album could probably have survived without. I agree. Um, it's uh, I do I like the ending. The I can't help you kind of refrain is really is good. But when you're when you're dealing with an audience, I mean, I'm very mindful of the fact we're talking to Anna and Dave here, who, as Dave said, it's like a bit of. The, the, the nuances are sort of lost if you want to really maximise the impact of a tr- of an album like this I think you want to strip it down to like 12 tunes a bit like uh, Generator or something like that mm-hmm. rather than have it up at 15 it's unavoidable that some of the tunes will become a little bit confused in the mind of the listener and this is one of the ones that could have freed up space for a better song further on mm-hmm. um, it's also one of the longest tra- albums man like a lot of these songs are like mm-hmm. breaching coming up to 3 minutes and going over yeah. you know and that's quite unusual for them to do so many in a row on a record and again yeah I think that's because it's a rock album as much as a punk album um, on track 8 Pity the Dead very very good sequencing Um, I by the way did you notice that 
there is the grey race but there's also a re-release of the grey race that was remastered and the remaster really pops the bass the, really, the bass guitar really uh, benefits from the remastered version if you're listening to it and I think on Pity the Dead it's about as obvious as it is anywhere else in the record the bass really it comes to life in this tune um, This track has an absolutely fucking golden chorus in it Totally uh, the, pa- the pacing is quite different um, it, Again, it's, it's fairly upbeat it, it stomps in the verse But really swings in the chorus And it also is a good example Of Bad Religion's ear for a good solo They don't over overcook their solos There's a couple of great solos in Stranger and Fiction The solo on um, Handshake in particular Is really good But the solo in Pity the Dead works very, very well Let's go! I think it's followed by the most disposable track on the entire record, Spirit Shine. Which I don't have a lot to say about at all. I wish it wasn't there because I think, again, it would make the rest of the album, it, it would reinvigorate certain other parts of the album. Track 10, Streets of America, is a massive, massive tune for this album. Best this song is on the, the sort of. So this is I, I actually don't think It's the best song On the record But I do It's the most Identifiable song On the record Because it's the 21st century Digital boy It's the answer It's the American Jesus It's the um, Well 21st century Digital boy again I guess um, of, of Stranger in Fiction It's the big rock song mm-hmm. And it's oh, It's a fucking Absolute belter It's, it's the tune That was um, It was a great way For me To take Bad Religion To my friends Who were Really into Nirvana Who were really into Soundgarden And to sort of Give them this band That I knew They would have time for But it was an Excellent foot in the door It was a slower pace Bigger riffs It's a little bit obvious And it hasn't For me It hasn't dated Quite as well As some of the others Because of that yeah, th- th- this album. Eh, sorry, this album really benefits from that song being on it, um, just because of the doors that it opens. Mm-hmm. Uh, they follow it with a track ten and twenty ten. Which is not accurate. There were, in fact, not 10 billion people in the year 2010, mm-hmm. and Greg completely overshot the mark. <laughs> and even at the time, I have to confess, I was a little alarmed in 1996, thinking, fucking 10 billion people, all suffering. That's that's quite bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, did you m- manage to read the NME review of this album? Yes, it was, it was probably. I know, I know so you said, did you manage to read through an NME review? Is probably yeah, unlikely. By Johnny Cigarettes uh, yeah. back when this released. And I mean, it's obviously just somebody that hates actual you know punk music and talks about how boring they are. But he, he says, for the record, the one choose, tune that pauses even briefly during its journey in one ear and out the other is entitled 10 in 2010. It imparts the shattering news that there might be 10 billion people on Earth by the year 2010. And no doubt, 10 billion more appalling albums by Bad Religion. (laughs) (laughs) Ye gods, deliver us. (laughs) Very clever, Johnny. Thanks, Johnny Cigarettes. 
if that is your real name. <laughs> John Johnny phoned that shit in, man. That doesn't even oh, even in, even in the in the context of being a cynical asshole, that doesn't make sense. You know, <laughs> fucking Johnny. Not sickness. that you're and better enemy. or anything, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Enemy's dead. I, I win. Um, <laughs> so we talked about the triumvirates, right? I think actually this album exceeds that. Oh it, no, it, no 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 no. Right. <laughs> Whoa! Interesting. Interesting. Right. So the the next tune is called Victory, which is a fucking brilliant song. Really, really good. It's like it's one of those kind of quite. I don't again and I made funny faces when I said gothy I don't I don't mean gothy but it's got that sort of diminished minor pessimistic sort of quite downbeat um, melodic uh, progression yet it's played at like quite a pace Um, I also think it's got fucking excellent vocals in the bridge of the song like really really nice bit in it Um, I mean the lyrics at the start of that tune as well are about child abuse like a priest abusing a child it's like it's pure edgy stuff Mm -hmm. from 1996 and it's they're not scared to tackle some pretty heavy subjects they follow a drunk sincerity Mark, please don't fucking tell me you don't rate drunk sincerity. It's just a, to me, it's just a social distortion song. It's not really a bad religion song, which is not a bad thing. I like social distortion, but You're this song and the one after it for me both sound like social distortion songs. And but you know what? Like like that's what differentiates Greg and Brett, the songwriters. He always goes towards like you said that kind of Celticy punk thing, a kind of more folky rootsy social D T S O L thing. You know, and that that really works. That's what gives Bad Religion their tension. And I th- for me, that's. M- that this record could have done with a bit more of that tension and I think if it had a Brett song in the middle of those three, it would have like lifted the other two, personally. See, I don't I don't get that at all. Cause I, 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 we're, we're, you're talking about Come Join as the track after it, which mm. I think is so different in tone. Drunk Sincerity, I think, is a kindred spirit with the track uh, Hooray For Me, Fuck You from Stranger in Fiction. It's like a really, really bubbly, upbeat tune, yet it uses that as a great Trojan horse to discuss some really depressing stuff. There's a fucking brilliant little um, stanza in it, which is, uh, the general said, we don't want your boys dead. Your sons and your husbands will be coming back heroes soon, which is brilliant. Kind of subtle reflection on the sort of lies that are the American gold star families are, are sold. Uh, I, I, I love that tune. I really love the, the contrast between the, the, the sound of it and the... the, the the subject come join us is way more dramatic um it's got that kind of alt rock feel to it it's quite angular it's almost got like a nirvana sort of spanky guitar simple power chord intro um but i think it's some like really great angsty US punk rock it's got an excellent use of their oohs and ahs in fact I think in their sleeve notes they they actually used to credit it as 
oozing as, which is such a big feature of their stuff. That's one of the best examples of that. Um, and it's also got a, a, a fucking brilliant sort of graffiti positive couplet of like the world hates us and we hate them too. And it's just, it's a bit childish, but it, it works really well for the audience. I mean, I was 15, I was fucking lapping that shit up. <laughs> um, and then they finish with Cease. Now, by this point you're at track 15 and as I said I think if this album was like two or three tracks shorter the impact of this would be all the more but Cease is it recalls Generator a wee bit and uh, the kind of adventurous nature of the of the, the writing I think it's a, just such a beautiful sad melodic classic uh, like in, in the catalogue of the band really bittersweet and the vocals are a little bit more understated in it that I think adds a bit of emotional weight to, to the progression I think that is a very very overlooked song even because it's at the end also it's a, it's a nice touch that they finish with everything must and then they miss out the word cease and the album just stops Sorry, it's the tune that was playing, obviously, as I finished listening to this, and I was just grinning, thinking, I just fucking absolutely love this band. I can't believe that 25 years later, I am still super, super into this this record. And, I mean, it's an album that I still probably sing the harmonies to as much as I sing the main vocals. We spoke about that in the Weezer albums. Mm Mm-hmm. Sorry, the Weezer episode about the Weezer albums. Um, I love the production on it. You're right, it has a lot more beef to it. It's full of tunes. I think it could be shorter, but through this album, I've just gotten, I've realised I've got an inexhaustible love for this band. I absolutely love them. I don't think their later products are anywhere near as good, uh, but I mean, I would, as I mentioned earlier on, this this definitely cements them in my top five of all time. I think it's a, a, a fucking marvellous collection. I think it's a good record, man. Don't get me wrong. It just doesn't feel really bad religion to me, but we obviously have different approaches and how that how that generally should go between us anyway, because you like the more rockier stuff and I'm clearly still a punk. Yeah, I think that's fair because it's definitely the apex of their adventures in, in rock music mm-hmm. versus punk music. Well, they, they rolled it back after it. A couple of interesting facts about it is um, Brian wrote like 50, 40 or 50% of the music on the Grey Race, but he had like so much disagreement with Greg over some of the songs that he literally said, fuck it, I'll never write another song. And that was it. And he just stopped writing songs with Greg on the record uh, another thing which I think quite interesting when you're going through those songs there Chris is the ones that you didn't really you think could be taken off it with the exception of Streets of America were all co-written with Brian Baker including The Grey Race the ones that, that he co-wrote feel a bit more like Dag Nasty they've got the same kind of ringing out notes and all that you know the kind of spaciousness to verses and stuff which Bad Religion never really well Brett and Greg never really do like between themselves you know I think it's a good album man and if it, if it got in, I would not be. I wouldn't be bad about it at all. I think it's hampered a little bit by its kind of corporate overtones because they were on Atlantic. It's a little bit of a kind of slightly conservative cover, albeit I think that's deliberate. That's kind of the point they're trying to make. But I don't know if it, it necessarily worked in their favour. You know, they they were in the midst of that major label deal and some of their original kind of hardcore fan base had left them at this point. I think they were struggling a wee bit with credibility. And as a result, I think that all contributed to it being overlooked just in terms of the sheer prowess of the songwriting on it. 
Do you know every single face in that cover is an employee at Atlantic Records? Okay. Weird. It's totally weird. And there's, bar- there. and, and there's barcodes. There's a child on there. <laughs> they can't be. They can't be. We work at Atlantic Records. Yeah. <laughs> they're down. At, they're down in the basement packing boxes. Right? <laughs> like in proto Amazon, right? Anna, what were your thoughts on this album overall? Well, overall, um, normally I would probably be quite critical of Bad Religion because I feel that the sound is repetitive, and I think it. I almost find it entertaining when you were talking about how oh, Mark likes the punkier side and you like the rock side because to me it just all sounds like that kind of punk rock sound. I wouldn't really say that there's anything that's more um, heavier sounding but they do have heavier or more hardcore sounding songs and with this album I felt that the songs flowed nicely on it I felt that they sounded distinctive enough and that the the style of the songs lent itself to the vocals well as well. So all in all, I, I would say that it, I listened to it first and that certainly opened my ears and my eyes to realising that they weren't as generic as I had um, previously thought that they were. If I had control over my eyebrows, they'd be going wild right now. <laughs> <laughs> in a good way or a bad way? Yeah, not not in, a, in a good way. If I could make like a Mexican wave of my eyebrows oh. in, in celebration. Oh, there that. we go. Fuck, he really can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm, pleased to, I'm pleased to hear that because, you know, with with my group of friends, it was similar. Like, I, was, I think I was the first one to really overtly get into Bad Religion, but I noticed that a lot of them picked up on the band just maybe partly through my persistence, but this album really helped me sell them to them. You know, they, they, I, I can't say that many of them got many of the other albums. I think Stranger in Fiction and Process of Belief, funnily enough, were the ones that were most widely accepted within what was mainly an alt-rock crowd. But this album went over really well, and as I said, people like David, Colin, guys that I played in bands with, Richard, all really took to this, and it's maybe their, it's maybe the punkiest record that I'd imagine those guys have in their collection, and I think that's quite interesting. It says a lot about it, that for a lot of people who've heard it, it's the punkiest thing they own, because it's still big, big hooks um, that are not too much in the one direction that I think the likes of Suffer and even Recipe for Hate and stuff were just a little bit of a bridge too far for many of them I I feel positive about it I've got a feeling David wants to keep his powder dry to the end here to, to unleash the, the mallet of justice on us so much you might <laughs> <laughs> just go for it yeah so before the grey race obviously as we've spoken about in the last episode Brett left the band so that was the first album without Brett this one is our first record with Brett back in the band when they were in the middle of the New America tour, their contract with Atlantic was fulfilled and they kind of went into limbo. They didn't really know what they were going to do. And Greg reached out to Brett and was thinking, look, how do you feel about coming back and maybe writing some songs with us? Brett said, yeah. But he didn't think he could do a whole record. But they sat down to write it. And then before he knew it, him and, him and um, Greg were just chucking Pro Tools files at each other. So they could, like just kind of keeping the process going. They kind of thought of it as being then a companion piece to Stranger Than Fiction. They kind of looked upon that as a benchmark, so they were like, the next record has to be better than Stranger Than Fiction. Mm-hmm. And that's how the process of belief was born. For me, this is the this is the first Bad Religion record I properly owned. 
I'd heard songs before on on various friends, you know, compilation tapes or like not tape, the CDs that I'd made. You know, I downloaded the odd song from from Kazaa or whatever. Um, can I can I can I ask some actually? Right, so I was fifteen. Well, 14, 15, when I first really got into Bad Religion. So Grey Race came out in 96 and I was 15. And based on the difference in our age, I'm guessing you were probably about 14 or 15 when this came out. This came out in 2002, so I would have been just about to turn 17. Okay, maybe a little bit older than I was. Because I think they're a band that speaks to the sort of, the slightly more maturing, you know, 13 to 14 is sort of like pop punk, like really light-hearted stuff. And then you start to get a little bit more serious. And I think they're a band that really tap into that point. Of like your musical development You know where you really You want the lyrics to be a little bit more substantive You don't necessarily want people singing about farts Although you still like Descendants don't you So well, I, I got into Descendants, Descendants Later with, with the album that we've done And <laughs> it's not so much about that But this record for me Actually cemented in my mind Why I didn't really like bands like NoFX And why I preferred bands like Bad Religion You know they were political yeah. They were socially conscious quote unquote they weren't that pure I well bad religion certainly weren't I mean you could probably accuse them of being quite poor-faced all the time with their lyrics and approach but you could yeah. say that they are the uh, tool to new metal um, wait how would you say this yeah, they yeah, are to pop punk as tool are to new metal that's not a terrible analogy yeah, when the chin strokey 17 year old starts to go yeah. oh I'm better than this yeah, yeah. yeah and the, the, the vocals being that sort of technical progginess to it mm. but you know, Mark, I, I will say, I know you're probably going to touch on this, but I just want to like put my cards on the table right up front. You've mentioned Gurowitz coming back into the fold as being the big defining factor here. I think far, far more important was Brooks Wackerman joining on drums. Yeah, I mean, there's night and day. It's, it totally is like night and day. As a player, don't get me wrong, the guy before, who was the guy beforehand again? Bobby, Bobby Schaefer. Yeah, yeah, Shire. Yeah. Shire. Yeah. He was a great drummer. <laughs> Nothing. Wrong. You need to be a good drummer being bad religion, especially to play at that speed. But Brooks Wackerman takes it to another level. That's definitely one of the key defining features of this record, other than the the sequencing, which I guess we'll get to as well. I mean, I've listened to every single bad religion album, and prior to this, there is almost never a point where the drums do something that steals the moment. Mm. This is the first time in their whole career where a drummer steals the moment with a fill or a beat or, or some kind of groove that just makes you go fuck man that guy's good it's the kind of Josh Freeze phenomenon where the drummer is able to do something that is just pushes the song a little bit higher yeah. and as good as Bobby Sher was he was very very competent mm-hmm. but he never ever added a lick or a chop or a moment that really f- fucking kicked a song to the next level yeah, we can talk about that as we go through it. I can think of a couple of examples off the top of my head. Um, but I suppose let's get into it. So it starts off with Supersonic. Well, I'm not making hate stuff. Could it be Hastings making me? What's time I think they kill or keep up fire and lose a living? I gotta go faster, keep up the pace. Which that's actually that's actually lots of fuzzy guitars. That's not a keyboard that makes that weird sound in the with, with the guitar at the start, which is pretty cool. Um, this is like straight away, right off the bat. This has got so much more feel, and so much more energy than any bad religion song I've had since the Grey Race. Really, energy, man. It's it, even more so than anything on the Grey Race. It's totally turbocharged. Yeah, it's just absolutely dripping yeah. with it. You know, the, see the transition yeah. from the bridge and the back with the backing vocal underneath it, and the pure frantic section. It's it's just there's something about the way that Brett Guerrero writes songs. It's vastly different from Greg Graffin, and it's very clear on the first three songs. This triumvirate on on this album, you can 
totally tell it's a Brett Ripper. It's like totally snotty as fuck. It's really back to old school bad religion. I mean, like I said, he said he hadn't written for five years before this session, and the urgency of probably that creative explosion is like coming right here, you know. Hint, hint. Uh, like a like a horse yeah, with exactly. three schoolboys <laughs> from Loch Winner. Um, <laughs> so the good thing about this triumvirate is that they, they they actually still occasionally play these three songs back to back. And, and life sets because they just work uh-huh, so cool. fucking well. Yeah. Um, prove it is a great Graffin song. Um, it's you know you, you can know tell prove it. I think straight a, away. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great song. I think the secret to prove it, and I mentioned it in in relation to Grey Race, is the fact that the the middle eight, the bridge, is so fucking strong mm-hmm. in it. The middle eight is the most standout part of the entire tune, where the 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 guitar and the snare drum do that kind of choppy thing together and then the vocals slowly add extra reverb um, the no proof necessary thing it's, it's fucking absolutely brilliant yeah it's it's in contrast to the first song it's a lot more muscular sounding and a more melodic as well so you can tell that Greg's been honing his craft over the course like you can see the contrast quite clearly at this point in the creed I think um, and then can't stop it as a total hardcore punk smasher fucking brilliant that, that is the thing that sets this album apart now I spoke about Brooks like the drum fills in this tune Amazing. are astonishing mm-hmm. and it's the first time in their career that they've got that element you've got all these other elements that are doing loads of heavy lifting especially the voices and finally you've got a drummer and no disrespect to Bobby Sher but you've got a drummer who's doing some serious fucking heavy lifting yeah I mean it pushes a song Way beyond the the distortion on the vocal, I think, is really nice, and it's a nice feature. It makes it sound really compact. I've got right here next to a little smiley, angry fudge. Um, <laughs> But uh, <laughs> sounds like angry fudge. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like angry fudge. Um, oh, I think in the call and response thing, the harmonies are all Love great. That. But the, the the drum performance in mm-hmm. this tune is what really distinguishes it from the rest of their catalogue. Even enunciation of like I can't stop it. It's just so nice. It's a nice little nice little thing in there. When when has he ever done that before? Yeah, absolutely. And the bank vocal is not being filtered. Like the vocal like makes them pop even harder as well, which is tremendous. Yep. And then you get broken, which is kind of it's you've spoken about it. Before Chris, it's got that melancholic vibe that they kind of often go to. She said, Thanks, but I'm broken. I guess you must have misspoken. What a laugh! I've never been chosen by anyone. It's a total bad writing staple, and I kind of feel as though they've been missing it for so long. I think it's probably a way that Brett writes harmonies compared to compared to Greg. Just just my thought on that. I don't know if that's actually the case, but I like the way this song sounds. It sounds a bit like affected. You know, it's got the same kind of slowness to it. It's got loads of acoustic guitar in it. Yeah. Um, but you know what? I have to be honest. I am not a fan of this song. Uh, this was actually a pretty big song for them, and it's become a pretty big song live. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it feel it's quite pedestrian and it's quite 
M-O-R and I, I acknowledge that the, the refrain at the outro is good but I don't think it's a song that has a lot of legs in it, it, it the novelty of it wore off pretty early for me I think that's f- it's a skipper yeah. for me I think that's fair, the next three is another good triumvirate I think Materialist, Kyoto Now and Sorrow uh, even though he- I know you've missed out uh, Destined for Nothing oh Destined for Nothing, fuck yeah, that's actually quite cool as well the woes are totally yeah. nailed on <laughs> that's got that's Terrible got that war. punk yeah, yeah. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Yeah, absolutely. It's very old school. It's got a good chorus in it as well. Uh-huh. Like Destined for Nothing's best feature is its chorus and the harmonies. Good guitar bits um, as well. Lead guitar bits are re- really cool in that song. Yeah, it's all right. Um, materialist or materialist? Materialist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're if you're great grappling. Um, it's where the actual the title process of belief comes from. Yeah. It's in the lyrics mm-hmm. of the song. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a deist. He's a humanist. He's a materialist. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm 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 not I'm not insanely fucked about this song. I don't I don't agree that this is necessarily the start of one of their great triumvirates. I think it's good, but I don't think it's indispensable. And then you've got Kyoto now, which is really upbeat given that it's quite a grim topic. Well, can I can I just say I know we've, we've been pretty uh, abelian about the first six tracks here. I'm, I'm using the word abelian because this is a bad religion podcast, and you have to use <laughs> totally unnecessary words. Should have swallowed a thesaurus before we start. <laughs> um, but the the first six tunes are decent. I think they're good. Um, they're energetic. I think like can't stop it's great aesthetically, um, but they're lacking in the big, big hooks of the likes of Grey Race or Stranger Than Fiction. Where that changes and where I think your case becomes much, much stronger, I'm doing this for you maybe, is from now. Because Mm -hmm. from track seven onwards, this album becomes a fucking heavy hitter with melodies. Totally, man. It starts to to open up a lot more. You can see a lot more evolution in terms of how these guys are working together as songwriters. You know, bringing bringing Brett back into the phrase. Obviously, you can see that he was probably thinking, "Fuck, we need to just get out the gates really quick on this," you know, and, and hit them really fast. Because sometimes, and I think it happens in the grey race, like they, they kind of maybe get bogged down in the middle sometimes, especially on the longer mm-hmm. records. And this is a longer bad religion record. I don't think that every single song on this is brilliant. And I do think there are songs that could be taken off it, like like I like bro- I like broken, but that could probably come off it for sure. Yeah, you know. Um, and there's another couple towards the end which I don't think hold up too well either. But at this, at this point, Kyoto now, a really good song. And then you've Matt, got it's s- the best. It's the best song they've done in six years. It's fucking brilliant. You think so? I, I think I think Sorrow is actually arguably better. I mean, no, sorry. Chronologically, it's the Sorry. best song they've done in six years. <laughs> right, okay. If you're listening to this for the first time, this is before Sorrow, uh, Sorrow, and it is 
absolutely fucking brilliant. Yeah. I, I also love the mildly patronising racism of the Japanese guitar intro. <laughs> 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 we all we all love a little bit of that. Yeah. Brilliant. It's a different yeah, time, Chris. Super, a different time. <laughs> super anthemic. Like it's really nice. It's I like the fact that it's got a very pointed political theme. Mm-hmm. I mean Kyoto is all about the, the Kyoto uh, treaty and the, the protocol and it's very succinct it's very focused in its message that's kind of it's kind of refreshing given that a lot of the messages can be general despair or general disillusionment or general oh tv is taking over your life like entire albums as we spoke about prior to this were like oh tv is brainwashing you well fucking yawn whereas this is like here's an issue what is what is kyoto what is the kyoto treaty learn about it here's a song that's talking about it and it's actually pretty fucking good mm-hmm. that it's so focused in that sense um, I also think that it's, it's a, an, an adventurous song songwriting wise in that it changes key yeah. during the verses mm-hmm. which is inspired for them uh, like for any punk band really in, in that sense and the choruses are just massive it's a total sing-along it is it's a, it's, I don't think they play it live as much as they do some of the other songs in this record but they really should because it is a to- maybe because it's a bit, a bit old hat now in terms of the topic but it's probably just because it's fucking got so many words in the chorus that Greg can't sing it without <laughs> passing out. It's like it's one of those ones though. It's one of those guys that you're just Greg, just strip it back, man. Yeah. And it kinda does in sorrow, right? Is just sorrow is amazing. High class. And Anna, Anna, I'm sorry. I know you really hate the Irish. You've made that clear. Oh, a but- week ago. <laughs> this is it. You're, you've called me somebody who hates the Germans. Now you're saying I hate the, the Irish Scottish. as well. Remember What's it, next? Er- earlier on, you hate the Scottish as well. Remember that? I, yeah, well, I better put it out there. I do not have any of the Scottish cringe as it is referred to. <laughs> I am proud to be Scottish, and I think that all nations should be equal before you jump on me being some sort of only pro Scotland person. You just can't anyway, win. Sorry, um, no, not with you anyway. But this is the, this is the closest to like an Irish folk song, both thematically and just in sound. It's mm-hmm. got it's almost got a shanty vibe to it, man. It's mega. I don't. I, I didn't even fucking say that phrase before. I don't think I've ever used that in my life. Fucking mega. This mega. song is fucking mega. This song's up there with David's eyebrows and Anna's racism. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that um, when you talked about drums, that the drums on this are so adventurous. You know the way that he plays around in the choruses with the different, the, like the different kind of beats, which are just so suggested and stuff. And it's it's a different vibe as a song for them straight away, which I like to see them doing. At this point in their career But he actually brings another layer to it Which could have been lost with another drummer I think, Brooks You know you know, a weird thing This song's got like a weird drum sample In the background of it After he says sorrow It's an every explosion time, like, It will be sorrow Yeah, it's, like an, an exp- it's literally a sample of an explosion here yeah. Well, I never <laughs> mentioned it But seeing Stranger Than Fiction On the track Handshake There's the phrase There is restrained passion Then there's a sample 
and then he goes mistrust and bigotry. And I don't know what the fuck that sample came from, but they just chose to add this one weird sample stroke in the middle of this tune, which is just totally unlike a punk band. Mm-hmm. Dave yeah. is so out, by the way. He's getting <laughs> up and everything. Yeah. He's actually... He's, just, he's, he's doing his stretches so he can get into it when he starts leathering us at the end of yeah, it. Yeah, he's just, he's, just, he's, just he's just cocking the rifle at the moment, man. Like, yeah, he's, that's he's, it. He's just like putting this sight in front of his fucking I eye. I get you, Dave. I'm um, in my pyjamas. Thought so, Mark, track nine, Epiphany, that could have gone, man. Yeah, it could have gone. Um, Yeah, not not necessary. Not necessary at all. Evangeline's pretty cool. Yeah, pretty good. It's got some really interesting backing vocals on it. It's got a lot of like Beach Boys influences and the way the harmonies are mm-hmm. are built up around it. I, I mean, that tune could probably fit in a lot of their older albums as well. Yeah. But then there's a, there's a couple of really good tracks. The, the Defense, I think, is a good one. Really strong one. It's a really, really good song. Very dark. Much chuggier, kind of changes the pace and then explodes in, into life in the choruses. And I also yeah. really like they use the rondo thing, you know, where the, the main vocal repeats the backing vocal, repeats the main vocal. Yeah. It's like a really nice touch at the end of that. Um, my favourite tune on this record the lie. is The Lie. Really? Interesting. Okay. Why do you lie? Why do you lie? Would you betray us? Do you think that's disposable? It's it's not it's not bad. Uh, it, it's not oh, one that man. sticks out for me. <laughs> this goes back to tracks like you and Oh, don't put it in the same category as you, Foxy, I guess. I th- no, 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 honestly, I think it channels that same really like I say downbeat, I don't mean downbeat in the tempo, I mean downbeat in the mood and the, the, the changes. There's something beautifully pessimistic about the lie, there's something really minor in it, it's really quite romantic. Um I, I think this is the kind of tune that you know, like summons the ghosts of like misfits or like the better AFI stuff. I think it's got a, a kind of negative gothiness to it, even though it's delivered in a very different way. I, I appreciate that. Well, those bands could easily cover this, I think, very, very effectively. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way, without it seeming too, too untoward. Yeah, I, I love, I love this tune. I think it's a, a fucking tremendous song. And then yeah, it's still two songs after that, and then the record's done. So if you, you don't belong, which is a kind of cool, wee upbeat number, but it's not particularly memorable either. It's very, it's very SoCal kind of old, old school. I, I, I'm not massively into it, man. It's yeah. fun, but I think you know. I almost get the feeling they're like role playing in that song, like they're pretending to be a different kind of Californian band. I think so. Like the, the lyrics remind me of the kids aren't alright, and it's got the same weird spoken word bit that Rancid do a lot of in, mm. in their mid, middle of their career, anyway. So that's kind of that kind of turns me off that song. And Borden extremely dangerous is, is kind of half a song, half an outro, and then the other half of the song. 
Yeah, sure, I might do harm And bear my right to our retribution If only someone would listen to me yeah, I mean, it's it's okay, it's nothing amazing, but it has that kind of playful, you know, the song collapses mm-hmm. and then comes in again, what is it, like 40 seconds, a minute or yeah. something like that? But, uh, I don't necessarily think these were the best ways to finish a song. I would rather have seen this album finish with an absolute belter in the lie or maybe a slight re- reorganised running list um, that... That complemented the earlier tracks. Yeah, uh, loads of great songs on it. I agree. Like listening back through this, I was like, "Fuck!" There's there's four or five of their best tunes on this album. I think it's brilliant, but I don't think it has the consistency over the runtime that Grey Race has. Although I think that Brooks Brooks Wackerman brings something to the party that I wish had been there on. Mm-hmm. Especially the likes of Stranger Than Fiction. That level of songwriting with this level of drumming could have been one of the, the absolute standout rock albums of the era. Well, for me, the, the highs in this record are higher than any in the Grey Race, and that's why I prefer it over that over that record. It feels much more urgent in, in many places. I think it's a bit more considered because it's, it's, it's actually two voices as opposed to one, and I think the Grey Race, it loses me in places because the thing you like about Bad Religion is the tension between the two different songwriters, or sometimes three, depending on, on who's yeah. written the song. You kind of really don't get that in the Grey Race as much as it's, good, as, as much as it's a good record. And having one man writing songs for Bad Religion clearly is not the optimal way of doing it because the, the following two records prove that Greg probably shot, shot his load <laughs> on, yeah. on the Grey Race. You know, as as as, as the sole songwriter, um, there's been a, a lot of phallic imagery in today. There has, there really has, there really has. I'm glad you brought it out for me. <laughs> <laughs> See, even even that. Sounds... <laughs> <laughs> that's the reaction I was hoping for. <laughs> well, so, no, rea- actually, that's not to, the reaction I was hoping for. <laughs> to be honest, that's the reaction I hope for as well, and I very rarely get. Um, so. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm Mark. Our, our opinions don't really matter in the context because I want to know what David and Anna think. Yes, me too. Anna, what were your thoughts on that record compared to the other one? <laughs> well, I didn't really have any strong thoughts on this record. In all honesty, I would say the songs on this reminded me more of the type of thing that I was hearing on Punkarama as a teenager and. It's still very much the band, but I would say I wasn't as keen on it because I think that it didn't have the same variety of styles hitting me quite quickly within the first few songs in a way that I was then more open to the rest of the album mm-hmm. in a way that I maybe enjoyed Chris's choice a wee bit more. But what I would say is, you know, you both have opened my ears and my eyes and... I wouldn't be so quick to judge them again in future, and um, it's it's been an education. Can I just interject and say I actually get what Anna's saying? Although in your defence, Mark, I think this album's maybe even slightly more varied. I think the sequencing doesn't do it any favours in the first six tracks. I think Grey Race is much better arranged. First track accepted. The first, you know, tracks two, three, four, and five cover a lot more bases early on and make you more drawn into the variety yeah. than this one. This one, to me, kicks into life from track six onwards properly, and I think that's a sequencing issue as much as a quality issue. And that's an issue for someone like me who is listening to it for the first time with already a preconceived 
notion of what it's going to sound like and I wasn't necessarily sitting back listening to it thinking, right, okay, impress me. It was more that I was trying to be more open to it, but also be more adult in the way that I listened to it instead of listening to it the way that I would have when I was younger and I was right in the throes of being into punk music because I found that actually the punk albums that I listen to now as an adult tend to be more of the bands that I got into as I got older into my late teens and my early 20s and they're the ones that have stayed with me and actually I do think that they're more skillful, interesting albums so that's the kind of approach that I was taking when I was coming to listen to both of these and I think perhaps Mark's choice, the style of it reminded me of my younger years as well as when I listened to it is it's maybe kind of thrown my opinion on it a wee bit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mark, Anna are you guys safe? Because we're about to let Dave off the leash. And <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Do you know? I don't. I'm not sure what my take is. I I agree with both of you in terms of your records. Like I think you've both chosen the right records. Um, and I agree that with Mark, I think the the highs are just a little bit higher on the uh, process of belief. But I I think. The Grey Race is just a slightly steadier record the whole way through to put on and I was listening to that in the background and I was like, oh do you know what, this is like 6 out of 10 the whole way through, it's fine mm-hmm. music to have on, whereas uh, Process of Belief I think like The Defence was the first song that I heard by them because I think it was on a Krang record you know, when I was 16 and I was like, oh yeah, do you know what that's got some I really like what they're doing there and it's got some really interesting parts on it and like throughout that record there are some interesting things that maybe take some songs up to a seven but there's also some bits that are just like oh that's just boring hardcore so it's it's a slightly wonkier record and I also I like the fact that you've kind of chosen these records because they do bookend that period and they're the start of um, Greg and Brett being back together or you know, working without each other. Um, Can I ask, do any, fr- from your listening man and the playlists we sent and stuff like that, do any Badge of Legend songs sort of get to 8 or 9 out of 10 for either of you? Are there any moments that really work for you? Not for me, unfortunately. I think it's just not my kind of style, but what I would say is, just to emphasise again, now that you've mentioned the playlist, it reminded me that when I was listening to the playlist that both of you made up, the songs that I was then hearing and thinking, well, that sounds good. I wonder what album that's off of. I was then going on it and it it was all stuff off of the grey race that I was feeling like that about. So that was really interesting for me, having listened to the album and thought, yeah, that's a decent album, to then hear the songs mixed in with songs from other albums being the ones that stood out to me. That really emphasised the point to me. That's interesting, yeah. How about you, Dave? Um, I actually, I really liked Infected. I remember noting that down. Mm-hmm. There was there was a couple, and I maybe it's just because I remember it from when I was 16, but I really like the defence on Process of Belief. There's a couple, but I don't know, just overall, I understand how it, it's influential and how, you know, they've affected punk rock and stuff like that. But I don't know, I guess it reminded me of doing... Yeah, because I'm a, met, a metalhead... 
it reminded me of doing the pop punk mixtape and I actually I kind of found that a little bit easier because when we went down that pop punk thing just the hooks are a bit bigger and it's just a little bit less earnest so like I can enjoy the trashiness of no FX the fun of blink 182 like the riffs of the offspring and just like the general great songwriting of Green Day whereas this for me just doesn't have enough of anything even though I know it influenced all of those bands it doesn't have enough that stands out to somebody that's not into this genre so um yeah I I can appreciate it but I feel like I don't know I feel like somebody that's a part of a an IPA conversation mm-hmm. and yeah by the end you can like go oh yeah I really appreciate the differences in these IPAs but I just don't like IPA <laughs> but I just yeah. want a bottle of, I want a bottle of Bucky yeah exactly um, yeah I think right, I'm cool. the kind of person who actually likes quite bands that are quite gimmicky Aye. all the punk bands that I like have got a gimmick about them mm-hmm. whether mm. that's something that's super serious or tongue-in-cheek you know like obviously the misfits total gimmicks murder city devils they've got a gimmick international noise conspiracy full of gimmicks you know all of these bands to me i think they are so distinctive with what they do and that's maybe what the draw for me is to them whereas for me bad religion let's talk about the fact that they sound like Pennywise you know it's it's, a can very, I, can it's I, like a punk sound like a lag wagon oh, sound or punk should be fun punk is fun and it's like yeah. rebellious I, this is I'm, rebellious I'm massive, through books <laughs> I massively like, disagree with that totally disagree with that on a kind of very basic level but and I just to, to, I don't want to hammer this into the ground obviously but I actually think the gimmick of this band was the intellectual, political sort of er- earnestness of them because there's very, very few other punk bands did that sort of like actually politicised campaigning this track is about such and such policy, this track is yeah. this and this and this. Well, any there respectable are, punk bands yeah, exactly. like hammered it hammered it so, the, know, so the propaganda it. Yeah, propaganda tried it as well but they couldn't write any fucking tunes <laughs> and I think this is like the thing like this band managed to combine real listenability with a kind of like political awareness that I was really fucking switched on to and to me that was a gimmick I know it's not right. a fun gimmick but Dave knows I hate fun right <laughs> and and I think as a, as a token of hating fun as well I absolutely it's it, this really is a much bigger conversation so we're not going to fix it here but I don't think punk was about silliness and wonkiness. I think it was about rebellion. And Bad Religion were one of the most authentically educational, awakening bands that I ever encountered, whether from, you know, how could hell be any worse, all the way through. They were saying stuff that really turned me on to actual political stuff, even if it was in a very, very sort of basic way. I get that. You're Like you said, it's your first Chomsky book. But um, it's still a part on your journey. And I think... I, I never took punk as being this sort of puerile, snotty, gobbing on people thing. And if it was that, it was only that because it was a sheer trolling anti-establishment fuck you. I always wanted punk to be problematic and I found listening to Bad Religion problematic because I had to go and learn about stuff. And yeah, so I, in a weird way, I am finding the stuff that you guys think is missing. You know what I mean? That that that's my gimmick and that's my punkness. Uh, even though you guys define it differently, I think that's maybe the issue. It's more a definition. That makes sense. Oh well. Anyway, thanks for taking the time to actually fucking listen to it. Because I've got so many friends. I, I've got friends that I know listen to the podcast as well. That 
fucking hate me for the amount that I play Bad Religion and I've <laughs> eye-rolled. I've got ex-girlfriends that would probably report me to the cops just for the amount of time that I've played Bad Religion in their presence, right? <laughs> and ho- hopefully I can somehow talk them round with this, although it's very unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so we've got to uh, go into our next, our end part of the, the podcast. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Right, so that, that uh, makes it time for the Nexus then. I guess that's what Dave's hinting at. Mm-hmm. Chosen person was chosen by uh, Steve Ontil of Neurosis, I believe. Yeah, it was. So if you haven't listened to our interview with him, you should uh, go back and listen to it. But he chose J.R.R. Tolkien, which mm-hmm. we may have done before. If you if you if you know, <laughs> please tell we, us. We have we ha- we have done them before, but yeah. that is n- that nowhere in the rules did it stipulate you can pick the same person. Twice I mean, we did Dave Grohl for a year and a half. Dave so. Grohl, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the band you're getting to is a different one from the exactly. last time we did JRR. So, yeah. So, uh, uh, I think we should go uh, in alphabetical order, Anna. Okay, so we start <laughs> with Tolkien. Yeah. No, that's a pure. That's a mark. mark mistake. Start with bad religion, mate. Start with bad religion, right? Okay. So, bad religion. Brett, a sometime member of bad Anna, religion. Anna, can you can you can you say this in the voice of Gandalf? <laughs> <laughs> I can't even think of what Gandalf. Bad religion. Shall pass. Brett owns epitaph. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> keep keep going all the way. Come on. <laughs> Epitaph released <laughs> Smash, which was an album by The Offspring. That's really fucking good. I'm Keep so on. here for this right now. It's fucking great. <laughs> that was the last album that Epitaph released by The Offspring. The Offspring released other albums after that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so into this. Like, I'm completely bought in. Please, please One don't of which included the single Kids Aren't Alright. <laughs> this song was featured on the soundtrack to The Faculty. <laughs> The faculty was a well-known <laughs> horror movie loved by teenagers the world <laughs> over. The faculty starred Elijah Wood, a young man who went on to be in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> 
Lord <laughs> of the Rings was written by Jai R. R. Tolkien. <laughs> Thank you. Fantastic. That was. Other than the fact that you got a little bit yellow pages at the end, that was fucking. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that was that uh, was absolutely fucking brilliant. Oh, to me, I thought I was eating the kid. Actually, I'm I'm in tears a wee bit. That's fucking brilliant. Uh, okay, well, I need to try and follow that. Okay, um, you can do it as Gollum. <laughs> Precious. I, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can. No, I think it's best that you probably do. Bad religion. Feature, features Mr. Greg. I'm just going to say that I'm being racist. It sounds a bit Japanese. Yeah, you should maybe just I go feature back to- Mr. Greg Graffin. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's just avoid any potential minefields here. Uh, Greg Graffin. Uh, spoke at the Reason Rally in 2012 in Washington, D.C. Uh, he spoke alongside people like Eddie Izzard and, what's that, get Tim Minchin? Is that the name of the oh, comedian? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, the, I think the, the, the head speaker that year was Richard Dawkins, um, that kind of curmudgeonly... Funny. Uh, <laughs> new atheist that, whilst has, makes a lot of good points, does as much damage to the cause as good. Um, yeah. Richard Dawkins uh, wrote, a fucking heavy duty article for the Washington Post actually in response to ex-Texas Governor Rick Perry and also ex-Secretary of Energy uh, um, about comments that Rick Perry had made regarding gaps in the theory of evolution Um, just to give you a little bit of a synopsis There is nothing unusual about Governor Rick Perry. Uneducated (laughs) fools can be found in every country and every period of history, and they are not unknown in high office. What is unusual about today's Republican Party? I disavow the ridiculous GOP nickname because the party of Lincoln and Theodore Roosevelt has lately forfeited all claim to be considered grand. It's this. In any other party and in any other country, an individual may occasionally rise to the top in spite of being an uneducated ignoramus. In today's Republican Party, in spite of... It's not the phrase we need. Ignorance and lack of education are positive qualifications bordering on obligatory. Intellect, knowledge and linguistic mastery are mistrusted by Republican voters who, when choosing a president, would apparently prefer someone like themselves <coughs> over someone actually qualified for the job. So that was Richard Dawkins' take on Rick Perry. Uh, mm. Also, by the way, resisted a segue into a guy called Colt Ford. Mark, do you know Colt Ford? Uh, the name is familiar. He plays country rap and has an album oh. and has an album that made me laugh for a good two minutes called Chicken and Biscuits. Which Chicken is biscuits. fucking date. I mean, the guy's obviously sold millions, uh, but there you go. Um, in 2011, Governor Rick Perry appointed ballistics specialist Dr. Vincent J. DeMaio uh, to the, the post of Texas Forensic uh, to, to the Texas Forensic Science Commission. Um, wow. By the way, you know my uh, my grand's maiden name was DeMaio. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Um, Mr. Doctor DeMaio testified uh, in defence of George Zimmerman regarding the shooting of Trayvon Martin. Remember that that case yeah. in the USA. Mm. Um, but his other most high-profile case was um, it was after a 2011 book about Vincent Van Gogh. 
regarding him not committing suicide. It was written by two authors whose names, I'm sorry, I really can't remember. But long story short, um, the authors were attacked after they published the book and they asked Dr. DeMaio to assess the sort of ballistics evidence, if you will, of the time, like the, the doctor's report and there was a couple of people who were witnesses to Vincent Van Gogh. Apparently it took Vincent Van Gogh 29 hours to die if his gunshot went to his stomach. Wow. Um, and they kind of um, hotly disputed the suggestion that Vincent Van Gogh had actually committed suicide. Um, the ballistics evidence suggested based on like, you know, the scorch marks he said weren't scorch marks, they were entry uh, trauma and um, there were interviews with people in the town where Van Gogh lived at the time and they said that he'd actually been shot debatably accidentally by a bunch of local youngsters and that Van Gogh as was his kind of psychology at the time took it to be part of his burden in life and tried to just go home and sort of recover but then ended up succumbing to the gunshot wounds um, and there was also another guy in town at the time who was like a bit of a kind of Again, a notorious sort of enthusiast of guns who claimed that he'd left the gun in town that ended up shooting Van Gogh, albeit he'd left at the time. But yeah, the theory is that it was a bunch of local youths and that Van Gogh knew they didn't mean it and didn't want to get any of them locked up or whatever, uh, but ended up dying of it. So there's actually supposedly quite a bit of like decent, decently credible dispute over whether or not he did actually commit suicide. Uh, but that book came in for a lot of flack, which is why they got this doctor involved. Anyway, uh, Vincent van Gogh was the favourite artist of a Mr. Leonard Nimoy. Uh, Leonard Nimoy actually starred in a one-man play called Vincent about the life of Vincent van Gogh. Uh, and Leonard Nimoy famously released a track called The Ballad of Bilbo Baggins in 1967. Nice. And Bilbo Baggins was the star of The Hobbit, written by G.R.R. Tolkien. In the middle of the earth in the land of Shire lives a brave little hobbit whom we all admire with his long wooden pipe fuzzy woolly toes he lives in a hobbit hole and everybody knows him Bilbo Bilbo Tolkien Joy R.R. Tolkien David you next uh, okay so I've actually I've got two but my fir- they're both short but one of them I don't think quite works but I'll tell you anyway bit get of- out of the road so Bad Religion's font is the same <laughs> is the same font that uh, Black Flag use it's called Fritz um, Quadrata. Typeface. Yes. Typeface. typeface. Sorry, sorry. It's a glyphic yep. serif, serif uh, typeface. Um, they first, they only used that on like first two records, it? and then they stopped for a while, and then they yeah, they brought yeah. it back. But um, it's also the uh, official typeface of the New Mexico Democratic Party, KFC, The Offspring actually also use it, and also World of Warcraft use it. In their in-game stuff, and World of Warcraft is just a big rip-off of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> anyway, the real, the, my real nexus is on. That was Chris- a good one, though. I well, mean, it didn't work, but it but was it did good. Quite, uh, yeah, it didn't quite fit in. But this one, so Bad Religion released Christmas songs, uh, Christmas EP in 2013, uh, which featured nine. Christmas punk rock covers. <laughs> um, I mean, great. That's what punk rock bands do when they hit their fourth decade. Uh, and the first track is the hardcore classic Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Uh, that song was written by Charles Wesley and Felix Mendelssohn. Felix Mendelssohn 
uh, he's German actually, like composer, pianist, organist, you know, big, huge guy in the early Romantic period. He actually has a crater on Mercury named after him. Wow. Uh, as do a few other composers, some artists, uh, Prokofiev, Gaudi, Kandinsky, uh, Stieglitz. They all they all have uh, creators on Mercury named after them, as does J.R.R. Tolkien. Nice. That, that is a fucking ripper, yeah. Thanks. That's a great one. That's going to be in the end of year lists. Yeah. It's quick, but mm. got there. It's how you use it. So whilst you, whilst you guys have been talking, I've managed to come up with a second one. Uh, so and they're both quite short. So I'll start with the, the one that I've just devised while it's in my head. Um, so one of the biggest influences in bad religion, particularly on G. Bentley and Brett Gerowitz, is Elvis Costello. Um, right, okay. Okay. Oh. Yes, you can hear that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he says that it was uh, just the whole angry young man vibe. Jay says that the whole angry young man vibe of Elvis Costello was like a huge influence on him. Um, and Brett tried to model both Atomic Garden and Stranger Than Fiction as Elvis Costello songs, apparently. Elvis Costello played Live Aid in uh, Women's Act 1985, and they, they played in London. Do you know what also happened to that show? That Can I just say 1985, you shouldn't forget that year, because that's the year we solved poverty. Oh, it totally was, yeah, fuck. <laughs> Live Aid Fixed it Do you know what else Happened to that show Led Zeppelin Had a wee bit of a reunion And do you know What Led Zeppelin Used to always do In their songs Reference Reference Lord of the Rings So like, What yeah, That's true yeah. Did they Yeah A bunch oh, of those songs well. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah They were the original Vargs They totally were yeah. <laughs> See I thought Somebody was going to mention Varg Because uh, He's always on about Fucking Tolkien Yeah Burzum gets it as the name comes from, and Count Grishnak comes from his, his fiction, doesn't it? Yeah, um, but nobody went down the races. Count Grishnak's not on the old YouTube anymore, eh? You know what, Got one it. of my friends sort of uh, tried to share um, a Burzum track on Facebook the other day and got our account deactivated. Really? Uh, <laughs> bro. <laughs> but my actual nexus, uh, the one that I came up with earlier on, is um, Bad Religion, I've have obviously had a lot of songs on punk- Punkarama compilations, uh, which makes sense because, you know, fucking Brett Gerowitz owns uh, Epitaph. On the 2001 Volume 6 Punkarama compilation, they had I Want to Conquer the World. On that song is also, on that compilation, sorry, is also a song by Pennywise, which features, is it Exedence? Anna, you alright with this? <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to say her name, but um, Exedence Servenka from the band X. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, she is uh, Vico Mortensen's ex-wife, and he was in Lord of the Rings. Oh, oh. nice! There wow. you go. Well, that's a wow. that's a swift. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I know. Bullet. Straight in there. Wow, that's amazing. Man. That's yeah. interesting. I had no idea about that. Yeah, she's actually been in lots of his records as well, playing guitar and oh. singing and doing vocals and stuff. Yeah. Well, guys, we managed to, I think, completely summarise the forty-year career of the band Bad Religion and just. Just shy of 40 years. <laughs> I think we've been re- yeah, I know. We've done minute by minute, real time. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think we are we are done here. Do we have a plan for next week? Because we've got... An, I know we've been working on a couple of interviews. I don't think they're going to come to pass. Whose turn is it for next week? I think it's you, Chris. Is it me? Yeah. Well, you know what? I am going to... I am going to rock this podcast to its very foundations I'm going to nominate a hip hop album great Fuck. Chris Cusack I know I am nominating the album Saul Williams by the artist Saul Williams cool oh 
Tasty. It's a tasty burger. Yeah, looking forward mm. to that. Get, get your teeth into this. Yeah, people are reeling. People <laughs> won't even hear the end of this episode because they'll have passed out. Uh, so we can pretty much say whatever we want. Anna, you, you got any anti-Scottish, Irish, German racism you want to throw in here? Nobody will hear it. I was um, just actually wanting to mention a wee something about what I've been up to because some of your listeners might be interested in listening to a wee radio show that I've oh, yeah. started doing. Yes, definitely, plug your, definitely plug that, yeah. So it's called Energy's House Party, catchy name, and it's released on Mixcloud through Radio Core. They're a um, LA-based radio station, internet radio station, but I just upload my show through the Mixcloud account. The first episode that's up is just me talking about how I got into DJing, some of my favourite venues in Glasgow, fun experiences at clubs and the clubs that I've ran over the years while playing lots of my favourite R&B tunes from the 50s and 60s. And then episode two is me interviewing my friend Holly Calder about how she started DJing, covering all the same kind of questions as I did for myself in the first one. And she plays her favourite psych tunes and I play, I bookend that with a wee bit of kind of garagey stuff as well. And the idea is going to be that every month I'll have a different Glasgow DJ on that plays the kind of music I enjoy talking to me about our city. Cool. Sounds that sounds bloody brilliant. So where do yeah. we go to find that? To Mixcloud and search for Radio Core. Wonderful. Nice one. Fantastic. Well, it's been a well, pleasure having you on our show. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks Fucking for having me, lads. Some ridiculous show stealing with that uh, Tolkien or Ian McKellen impersonation. I like honestly, it's like top three experiences <laughs> of this entire podcast. Yeah. Full stop. Wonderful. That's, that's I do like I, I do like to do impressions. So anytime, even if you just uh, want me to send in a wee impression for you. You know, maybe yeah, we could maybe we could get you to do an impression of our Nexus uh, subject every week. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> All right, guys, and 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 I know it's going to be difficult for you, but I want you to shake yourselves out of your white centric, Anglo centric fucking music habits and listen to some hip hop for a change <laughs> next week for my choice. All right, get with it, guys. <laughs> yeah, Chris. Fuck's sake. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, folks. Take Thank care. you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Cheerio.